Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Let's get going today. Uh, We're going to dovetail on where Daniel finished up last week. So if you guys don't mind turning to John 21 in your Bibles, we're going to get rolling. A lot to cover today. I'm all fired up uh, to to cover it with you. God's been working on me, and I've been trying to figure out exactly where I want to go. And I'm I'm excited about uh, the scriptures that we're going to get into today. So Daniel talked about Peter's denial and Peter's uh, kind of redemption last week. And in John 21, we see where uh, Peter, the, the miraculous, the catch, and, and Peter swims to the shore. And we see in verse uh, 15, we pick up John 21, verse 15, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. Now, check this out, man. Check this line out. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And John caps this off in verse 19. He says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. So Jesus is just making sure, and I don't think there's a coincidence that he he asked him three times, right? Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus is now kind of reinstating Peter three times. Hey, do you love me? By the third time, Peter's a little ticked off. I think Jesus has earned the right to ask Peter that question, right? Uh, But Peter's not real sure. Peter's just making sure because right after he says for the third time, yeah, Jesus, you know that I love you. Jesus is like, good, because you're going to die in my name. Oh, okay. Well, that's... Can I have that, that last answer back, right? It's, it's hey, and, and, and church tradition tells us that Peter was actually crucified upside down because he viewed himself unworthy to die in the same way Jesus did. So church tradition tells us that, that Peter was actually crucified upside down um, eventually. And, and Peter, or Jesus prophesies about this here in, in verse 21. So turn your Bibles to the very next page. Acts 1, we get the fullest account of Jesus' ascension. And starting in verse 9... Or start, excuse me, uh, starting in verse 7, we see where Jesus is, is talking to them. He said, it's not for you to know the time. They ask him, uh, Lord, are you, are you going to restore the kingdom? They said in verse 6, are you, are you going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In verse 9, he said, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So this is the fullest description we get of Jesus' ascension. Right before he leaves, he's like, hey, you guys are going to basically spread the word, but I need you to chill until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see Jesus has commissioned the disciples. We know in Matthew 28, he tells them to go and make disciples. We see again in, in John 21, he tells Peter, hey, go feed my sheep. Here in Acts 1, right before he's taken up right in front of them, he says, hey, I'm going to send you the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to 
you're going to share the word to the ends of the earth, not to just Jerusalem, not to just Judea, but even Samaria, which disciples were probably not real sure. Are you sure the Samaritans, right? He says to the ends of the earth. Now, what's the difference between John 21, Acts 1, and Acts 2? Well, we're about to find out. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, so the, the disciples are doing what they've been told. They're hanging out waiting to receive this Holy Spirit that they're not exactly sure what that's going to be like. And it says in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to, the, came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, now they were in Jerusalem. There were God-fearing Jews all over the place. This was Pentecost, so everybody had come to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. There's people from every different tribe and tongue. All these Jews from all over the world are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And the disciples receive the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in tongues. And people, obviously, there's a big commotion. People kind of can hear them speaking in tongues. People are drawn to them. They're like, basically, they can hear. It says, verse 7, utterly amazed, they ask, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? In other words, like, how are these Galileans speaking in these different languages? It said, then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Um, and it even says in verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and thought they've had too much wine. So some had accused the disciples that they were drunk at night in the morning. That's why they were speaking in tongues. Some of you guys maybe can relate. Uh, anyway, um, so they receive the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. It's obviously something supernatural is happening. Peter realizes that people are pretty confused with what's going on. And here's Peter, the man who 50 days ago just denied Jesus in Jerusalem the day of his trial is now going to stand up to all these ardent Jews in Jerusalem. And he's going to lay out the gospel. He's just going to lay it out. And we, we read in verse 36, so chapter 2, 36, after Peter has gone through the Old Testament and the prophets, and he's laid out who Jesus is in front of all these Jews. It says, there, it says in verse 36, Therefore let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter's looking at them, you know the dude you killed? And mind you, he's in Jerusalem. Like, there's a pretty good chance some of these people that he's talking to were the ones that were in the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, right? And so Peter, who cowered that day, is now so emboldened by the power of the Holy Spirit that he stands up, he's like, the Jesus that you killed, that you crucified, is both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, I love this, verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit was real. The gospel was clearly laid out. And the only response was, well, what now? Well, what do we do now? This is, this is different. This is new. And Peter doesn't say, hey, I tell you what, clean up your language. Start treating your wife better. You got to pray this amount before you go to bed. You get quiet time in the bathtub. Like Peter didn't say any of that, okay? He didn't lay out any of those man-made Traditions. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Verse 40 says, with many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. For those who accepted this, this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So we, we, 
normally the Bible only records the, the men in the group. So 3,000 men, thousands of people, we don't know with women and children, thousands of people were baptized that day. Okay? Now my question for you is this. What is the difference between the Peter of John 21 and the Peter of Acts 1 and the Peter of Acts 2? What is the difference? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, the difference is the Holy Spirit. Peter has now received the Holy Spirit. Everything changed. This Peter who denied Jesus, this Peter who's not really sure after, after Jesus ascended. How many of us, I know this has happened at our table a lot, right, guys? How many of us, this, this uh, series is like, man, if I walked with Jesus, I'd have never denied him. If I walked with Jesus, I'd have hopped right out of the boat, I'd have walked on the water, been all good. You know, man, if I was rolling with Jesus, like, this deal would have been easy. Yet here's Peter, who he knows a pretty rock-solid dude. He walked, he walked with Jesus. He saw him die. He saw him resurrected. He saw him ascend, y'all. <laughs> I mean, we just read. He saw him go up to heaven. He's still not really sure what to do. What changed? He now has the power of the Holy Spirit, and everything changes. And it got me thinking, you know, I've been fortunate to be a part of this Man Challenge deal for about a decade. And through that, we've, we've had our table uh, multiply, 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 and there's been a whole bunch of stories where I've seen the power of the Holy Spirit alive and show up in men's lives, and everything changes. And I'm going to share a couple of those stories with you guys today, if that's okay. Where's my man Buddy? Buddy, where you at? There's my man Buddy Bachweg. When I met Buddy Bachweg, he was far from God. Okay, and our lives collided in a very unconventional way, and uh, I was prompted by my wife to invite him to Bible study. I made a call. He has no idea why he answered. He was not prone to answer random phone numbers. He decided to pick up the phone call. He was in an airport in Chicago, Illinois. He just had a big sale. He was kind of living the high life, probably having him a pop in the airport. Ah, I'll answer this phone. Hey, uh, Chris Burke. Yeah, hey, what's up? Yeah, man challenge. Yeah, sounds good. Oh, tomorrow at 6. Yeah, okay, I'll be there. Uh, you know, like, yeah, right. Shows up, starts leaning into the things of God, starts investigating who this Jesus is, starts being moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And one day he makes a decision, I'm in. I'm in. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he lived a sinless life. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that through my belief in that, that I can have a right relationship with God. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can live a born-again life. Like, I'm in. Decides to be baptized is baptized, and from that time, now, Buddy will attest, and men at his table will attest, that's not a perfect dude, but that is a man who's been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of his life is evidence of it. His marriage has changed. His relationship with his kids have changed. His priorities at work have changed. The way he seeks out men has changed. The way he has invested his time, talent, and treasure has changed. The way he is impacting the people in, in the poorest part of our community in Portland, Kentucky, the way he is investing, not just his cash, but his time and his talents to try to help the least of these. Who was convicted by Kyle's sermon this weekend? Man, that was some good stuff, right? Buddy is intentionally investing in the least of these. Y'all, that is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a dude that was chasing the world. Where's my next sale? How can I achieve more? Where's the next thing that I'm going to buy? He was far from God. Religion had hurt him. He had had a lot of scars in his life relationally. But the power of the Holy Spirit showed up. And everything changed. It's a beautiful thing. <clears throat> Number two. I wasn't supposed to do that, buddy. Number two. Aaron Johnson. Over here co-leading the table with my man Simon Hain. Aaron, on a number of occasions, limited the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. He showed up to man challenge a believer. He was a believer. But 
I kept noticing this trend of I will never, I could never, I have never, I, I don't see myself. And one day, as I can sometimes be prone to do, I just had to call him. I said, hey, Aaron, have you, do you ever wonder how God receives the, the statement, I'll never? Now, don't hear what I'm about to say as some sort of chain I'm putting on you that spiritual depth means that you're a table eater. But Aaron consistently kept making, saying this phrase of, I'll never be a table eater. And finally, one day, I was like, hey, Aaron. And the power of the Holy Spirit's alive in you. Why do you keep limiting its, its ability to move you where it wants you to go, where he wants you to go? Like, why do you keep saying, I will never? Do you ever wonder how, how God receives that? And uh, I'm not sure how he took it initially, but we kind of wrestled through that, and we worked through that. And he's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm feeling pretty convicted about what you're saying. I'm like, well, basically what I'm saying is, and basically what, what I felt like he was saying was, you know, there's certain men that have more of the Holy Spirit than I do, or the Holy Spirit is able to do more in some men than others. Now, we all have our own spiritual gifts, but to sit there and limit the power of the Holy Spirit, like, I'll never pray with my wife, or I'll never be able to fully tithe, or I'll never be able to lead my, my kids to the church, they're too far gone, or I'll never be able to witness to a coworker. Like, when we start to make statements that limit the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, you just sometimes you got to wonder, like, how does God receive that? Because the Bible tells us that the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is alive in us. Yet we constantly make statements that like limit the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Aaron just kind of wrestled with that and he kind of came to grips to that. And since he did, this wasn't a man who needed to receive the Holy Spirit. This was a man that needed to submit to the Holy Spirit. This was a man that needed to allow the Holy Spirit reign in his life and be prompted by the Holy Spirit. And through his obedience, he now is co-leading the table. And there's a whole group of men over there that have been invited or been welcomed to hear about Jesus and to have space to, to, to get through the things of God because of Aaron's obedience. It's a beautiful thing to see. The third guy I want to highlight today is my man Ken Schreiner who's sitting at our table right now. Ken just a year ago was a professed atheist. And Ken started showing up. Ken started leaning in. We, we were going back and forth on some things. I was giving him a space. He was investigating. He was investing. He was asking. He was seeking. He was knocking. And as God so faithfully does, God worked it out in his time. And now Ken, at our table, ministers to other men at our table who are seeking. Now Ken is actively involved in seeking men in his own life. Now, God, now Ken is self-identified as a Christian. And when the power of the Holy Spirit shows up, stuff changes. And I pray that in this room... We would be a group of men marked that there's some seekers in here that need to submit and, and, and accept the power of the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of us that are chair two, lazy boy Christians that need to start offering the Holy Spirit space in your life. One, one, one study, some men in this room did it with me, that really impacted me as far as my relationship with the Holy Spirit. Write this down if you're interested in learning more about what Francis Chan terms as the forgotten God. And it's a, it's, a, it's a Bible study called The Forgotten God by Francis Chan. It will get in your business. Am I right, Chris? It will get in your business. The Forgotten God by Francis Chan. Men, the Holy Spirit, it's open to all of us. The question is, are we tapping in to his power? So Peter, as he's so prone to do, man, here he is. He's on a spiritual high. He's riding high. He's laying out the gospel in front of the people that just crucified Jesus. He is boldly proclaiming the word. He is doing what Jesus told him he would do. He's leading his church. He's leading the church. And in Acts chapter 10, God's about to wake him up to some of the chains in his life, some of the man-made traditions 
that he needs to get past. So turn with me to, to, to Acts chapter 10. We're going to meet this dude, Cornelius. Cornelius chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, which is essentially like a captain in our army. It means he had 100 people underneath him. So it's a pretty important dude in the Roman, Roman world. In what was known as the Italian regiment, he and his family were devout, God-fearing, gave generously to those in need, and prayed to God regularly. I was sitting there thinking about it. That'd be a pretty good way to describe. I, I, I would like to be described like that. Like, that'd be a pretty good way to be described, would it not? Like, if somebody said, hey, give me four terms that describe Sam Reader, right? Would you be okay, Sam, if they said, uh, hey, man, this dude's devout, meaning devoted to his faith or, or to any cause, devout. He's God-fearing, he's generous, and he prays regularly. It's a pretty good checklist, right? I was like, man, that's... I think Cornelius had it going on a little bit. And it, it says that, that the, an angel appeared to him, says, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send some men to Joppa to go find Peter. Basically, this angel's like, you know, you're a really good dude, but you need Jesus. And, and sometimes I feel like in our life, we get caught up and this is not a bad thing. We're, 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 our eyes are normally drawn to the people that are most broken from the worldly standards, like behaviorally or relationally. But the truth is, there's a lot of really good dudes in our lives that still need Jesus. Sometimes we're like, ah, he's got it all figured out. I'm going to leave that dude alone. But, the, but what we know is, without Jesus, man, there's an empty, there's an empty hole in everybody's heart. So let's, not, let's make sure we're not looking, overlooking the dudes that seem to have it all pretty good together. Uh, that don't know Jesus, because just because they seem to have their ducks in a row, as we all know, there's usually a deeper story behind that. So uh, the angel shows up. He says, hey, you need to go check out this Peter dude. He's going to come to your house. Well, there's a problem with that. Cornelius is a Gentile, and Peter's a Jew, and Jews don't go to Gentiles' homes. So for Peter to go to Cornelius' house, God's going to have to strip him of religion. And he does that in the form of a vision. It says in verse 9, about noon the following day, there, that he was, uh, they were on their journey and approaching the city. Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth birds of the air. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. We see a theme there. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So God's essentially saying, hey, God, hey, hey, Peter, everything's clean. Like if I made it, it's good. And that, that has to do with what you eat. That has to do with the people that you talk to. Let's get rid of all this legalism. Let's get, all, let's get rid of all these rules. There was, I want you to know there's, I was talking with Ben Cross this week. He was telling me, there's hundreds of rules in the Old Testament that the Jews are supposed to follow, but three really mattered, okay? Three, like, really meant you were a devout Jew. Number one, you, you had to be circumcised. Number two, you had to obey the Sabbath. And number three, you had to follow these dietary restrictions, okay? For Peter to go to Cornelius' house, you know what the, the, the biggest, probably fearful thing for him was to go to his home? What am I going to eat? Like, what are these dudes going to be eating? Now, that, it's hard for us. Like, we say that with anticipation. Ooh, I wonder what, <laughs> I wonder what these dudes are going to be eating. I'm going to an Italian centurion's home, man. What are we going to eat, right? 
this is a little different. He's like, man, what are they going to eat? I don't know. Can I got to keep my hands up? Like, what am I going to do? God's like, get rid of all that, man. Get rid of all that stigma, all that prejudice. Get rid of all those stereotypes. You need to go love on Cornelius. So as the story goes, Peter obeys uh, God's calling. And we see him, verse 39, he lays out the gospel. And it says, Uh, that as he was talking, verse 44, it says, while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished, meaning Peter brought a bunch of ardent Jews with him, and the circumcised believers were amazed that these Gentiles, these uncircumcised people, were able to receive the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they had heard the speaking of tongues, and they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They had received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Man, this is twice now. We've seen it with a group of Jews, and now we're seeing it with a group of Gentiles. When the word is presented to them, and the gospel is presented to them, and they are called by God. We heard the Jews said, what must we do? Like, okay, they were cut to their heart. They asked Peter, what must we do? As the Gentiles are hearing the word, they receive the Holy Spirit, and Peter immediately says, these people need to be baptized. And I I just want to say to a group of of men, some of which have, have made the decision to follow Jesus and have accepted Christ and have been baptized, some of which still never have, and you're on the fence about, do I need to? Do I want to? i just like to make available today to any men in this room, to any man in this room that, is, that has a desire to be baptized. What I love about the example of Scripture is there is no special formula. These people heard the word, they were baptized. They heard the word, and they were baptized. They're following the model of Jesus to, be, to, to die to self and to be born again, receive the Holy Spirit. And my prayer this morning, if, that, that is, there, is the, if there is a man in this room that desires to be baptized today, if you are hearing the gospel and your heart is beating to be baptized, like, we want to make that available to you today. So I just want you to know if, if, if there's a man at any one of these tables, uh, grab your table leader, come up and find me or find Ronnie or find Mason, and we will baptize you today. There is, there, there is no special formula, man. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you will be saved. Be baptized. Repent of your sin and be baptized. It is it is that clear, and I just want to make that available to the men of this room. So here we go. We're, we're sticking with our theme, right? We're sticking with our theme. Peter's killing it. He's killing it. He received the Holy Spirit. He boldly proclaimed the gospel to the Jews right in the midst of the, the group of people that killed Jesus. Here he goes to a Gentile's home, strips the, the chains of, of religion and man-made tradition, goes and saves the Gentiles and kind of sets that precedent for the early church that the gospel is available to all. But what do we know about Peter? He's, he's prone to messing up. That's why we like him so much, right? He, uh, you know, it's like me being a Kentucky encourager, right? He, Peter encourages us. Peter encourages us, just like I like to encourage Kentucky fans. Okay, here we go. So lastly, we're going to hop to Galatians 2. And, and look, guys, I, I don't want to mock Peter's shortcomings because obviously the ways we fall short aren't, aren't really funny. And so we can sometimes go, oh, well, Peter messed up. That gives me an alibi to mess up. I don't want to use it like that. But the truth is, I just love how Scripture uses flawed men to, to work for the name of God. And it, it allows us the confidence to know that just because we mess up doesn't disqualify us from still being God's hands and feet. So let's check it out. Galatians 2, verse 11. 
So we just saw Peter, he's rocking it. He goes to a Gentile's home. He's stripped of the things of religion. He goes and eats what he wants to do. He baptizes these Gentiles like he's over it. He's past it. He's past the old way. The new way has come. Well, 14 years later, Paul is writing to the Galatians, and the Galatians have been infiltrated by a bunch of legalistic Jews that are trying to tell them that they don't have the freedom of the gospel. they got to start following some of these old Jewish traditions. And Paul is fighting it, and he's, he's, he's giving his resume of his spiritual authority and how he was uh, revealed this, this message that he gave them by God. And now he's pleading with them, don't listen to these guys who are, who are leading you astray. And he uses an example where he went face-to-face with Peter publicly about how Peter had fallen back into man-made tradition. Verse 11, it says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, from James, now what that means is from James, James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So before certain men had come from James, meaning before certain those ardent Jews had come, Peter was cool. It said before those men had come from James, before those Jews had come from Jerusalem, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. He was afraid of those men. The other Jews joined him in hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, Paul's right-hand man, Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas was thinking, maybe these dudes do need to be circumcised. Like even Barnabas was was a little off. But Paul writes in verse 14, it says, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you are forcing Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? He's like, hey, man, you don't follow those rules anymore. Why are you making them follow them? Imagine that, right? Paul calls Peter out in front of everybody. That's like me going up to Chris Morgan and calling him out in front of everybody, man. Like, hey, you can't mess with Chris Morgan, right? Like, he's... That dude runs FCA Louisville. How are you going to say something to Chris Morgan? No, man, come on. That dude's got it all buttoned up. Sometimes we all need to be called up. Like my wife when I'm coaching. Hey, dude, like, are you serious? Like, you look so angry. They're five. <laughs> Chris, they're, they're five. Okay, okay. Point, point well taken. Point well taken. Kind of, sort of. My man Cam and Ronnie can get an extra laugh out of that. Brad Moore, too. He's seen my act. So I'm trying to do better. I need to be rebuked. I need it. Heavens knows I need it because I can get off track. I can start falling into the ways of man, and I want to follow the ways of God. And so here Paul lays out Peter in front of public. He says, no, dude. No, dude. That that ain't it. You're, You're being swayed by men. Because we all agreed, if you want to go back and read in, in Acts 15, like they've already agreed on this. The circumcision is not, there is no, there is no uh, law that gets you into the, the family of believers. Like it's faith, faith alone. And Paul puts a big old fat exclamation on point. He says, verse 15, he says, we who are Jews by birth are not, and are not Gentile sinners, in quotes, know that a man is not justified by observing the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Like that is a losing battle. Okay, so this leads me to my third point today. The first point is, man, when the Holy Spirit shows up, everything changes, right? The second point is, man, let's get rid of like the things of tradition and religion and all these 
chains that, that keep us from loving our neighbors and loving our brothers and political affiliation and the way people outwardly look and they choose to root for Kentucky. Like, let's get rid of all that, okay? Let's get past all that. Let's just love people. And the third one is, I got a question for this room. <clears throat> Are we more afraid of man or God? Like, who do we fear more? We fear man more or do we fear God more? I made that point about Zach Ertz. Like, that dude was not afraid of man. The cameras are rolling, men. It's 2018. Well, as the leader of the home, I know that our, our house needs to be rooted in the word. Huh? Like, you know, the whole world's, listen, yeah, yeah, I do. Like, let me lay out the gospel for you guys. Like, all these media members around him, he's just laying out the gospel. There's no, there's no fear in there. There's no, there's no buckle in there, man. Like, here it is. This is what I believe. And even Peter, and this isn't to beat us all up, because we, if we're all honest with ourselves, we can find ourselves guilty of this. Even Peter found himself afraid of men. And so my question for this room is, like, are we defined by the fear of God? And I don't want to be brimstone and fire this morning, but are we defined by the fear of God, the healthy, all respect and submission of God? Or are we defined by the fear of man? I love how this, I was, I was reading up on the, the term, the fear of God. I want to give you guys a few verses on this. Matthew 10, 28 says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Yikes, Matthew 10, 28. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Psalms 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Like, are we defined by this concept of fear of God, the healthy love, respect, all of an all-knowing, all-just, all-loving God? Or are we more worried about what our, what our homies think? Are we more worried about what our wife thinks? Are we more worried about what our kids think? Like, you know, we, we probably need to drop that club so we can be a little more generous. But, man, my wife and my kids really like going to the pool. You know? Man, we should probably be more respectful of this waitress, but the boss really thinks she's cute. Yeah, we probably need to keep these books a little more straight and narrow, but this is the way we've always done it. My company is pretty um, liberal, and the bosses are very anti this, and so I'm going to bite my tongue right here. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, guys. There's a wisdom associated with all of our circles, and only you know your, the areas where you're falling short. But my question for this group is, who do we answer to? Do we answer to God or do we answer to man? Some of us... We need to flip the switch with our kids. Like, like there's, there, we got this thing backwards. Like, we're scared of our kids. That's not the way this deal's supposed to work. Like, they're supposed to be scared of us. That's the way that deal's supposed to go. Some of it's relational. Some of it's social. Some of it's work-based. But, but I just want, my, my job's to tee up conversations more. Let's talk about that. Now, are we more fearful of man or God? I hope, I pray that this room is marked by our healthy fear of God. <clears throat> the author put it like this. 
How can we comprehend the utterly great news of Jesus Christ if we don't first appreciate the fear of God without total awe, wonder, terror, dread, reverence, and respect for a perfectly holy, righteous, and just creator? Can we truly appreciate what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did for us on Calvary's cross? Like, Can you truly picture the sacrifice of Jesus if you don't understand that he was there when the stars were hung in the sky? Like, Can you... Can you fully appreciate what he did for you on the cross if you don't realize that he, this whole deal is held together by his hand, right? I don't think, I don't think that we can. If we, don't, if we don't have those moments where we're just in awe of who he is, he says, if ultimate, it ultimately comes down to the perspective and position. Who is God and what is my perspective on his nature, power, and justice? Who am I and what is my human position relative to this almighty God? Once we understand and accept the this entire story, we can live out our lives in this special appreciation of coexisting truths, the fear of God and the love of God. This profound mystery that we find ourselves in, this, this, this belief in an all-knowing, all-loving, all-just creator, it starts with a healthy fear of who he is. And Ben Cross, to find that fear is respect and submission. And I, my prayer for this room is that we would be defined by that. All right, man, I got four cues for you on our way out this morning. Four questions, okay? Number one, when is a time in your life where the power of the Holy Spirit showed up and it was undeniable? Man, the Holy Spirit was alive and kicking this day. Could be a mountaintop moment. It could be very, something very subtle. I remember when Ken shared with me his, his moment. It was, seemed so subtle, but it was so profound in his life. Number two. What hang-ups do you have that may be keeping you from loving others the way that God has called us? Man, Peter needed a revelation to strip him of some of his stuff. But, like, what, 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 what population group do you struggle, does your heart struggle with? I remember reading the book uh, Messy Grace about the uh, LGBTQ community, and, it, boy, it wrecked my world on a lot of the hang-ups I had and, and a lot of the stuff I needed to get past to start loving them the way God has called me to. And I got a long way to go in that. But just let's wrestle with that at our table. What hang-ups do we have that are keeping us from loving a certain group of people? Number three, what area of your life can you be guilty of giving into the fear of man instead of standing for your faith in God? And then the last one, as we wrap up this study of Peter, what's your biggest takeaway from the life of Peter if you get to that? I'm going to pray for us. We're going to get to our tables. God, uh, <clears throat> we just want to pause and acknowledge you as, uh, as Lord. Uh, God, we are, we are sinful men capable of denying you in one breath and capable of proclaiming you in the next. And God, we're grateful for the example of Peter, grateful for all that we've learned, all that you've taught us through his life. Uh, God, I pray that we would represent, uh, represent you well in the circles of influence that you have given all of us, God. May we be known as men that are led by the Holy Spirit. May we be known as men that love unconditionally to all people groups, regardless um, of circumstance, God, that we would be known as men that love well. And God, I pray that we would be known as men that revere you. God, that holds your word above all other things, that we submit to your word first. That we are wise in the way we deal with people, but God, that we stand uh, for your ways and your ways alone. God, help us to do that. God, forgive us where we fall short of that. I know I'm a sinner who falls short of that all the time, God, so I need your grace. We thank you for your grace, God. And uh, lastly, God, I just pray this morning that if anybody in here is moved to be baptized today, God, that they would. 
that you would uh, beat in their heart and that they would obey that calling here this morning, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way it convicts us, God. May we, may we take what we've learned here this morning and uh, move in your world for your glory. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.